Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Mark 13, verses 24 through 37. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch become tender and put forth its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, This generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockscrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as the Anderson family reminded us this morning, hope, especially after the last two years, is something that we all need right about now. And I loved your story of hope. Thank you for sharing that. They're not the first to need hope. We're not the first to need hope, nor will we ever be the last to need hope, to pine for some kind of hope. 
but we need it now. And yet the very definition of hope has this kind of now, but not quite yet feel to it, right? And the season of Advent, it swoops in into our needing and into our pining for hope, and it gives us an answer, a coming answer for our longing. The one we can wait for and believe in, Jesus. And when I think about that kind of Advent hope, I cannot help but think about Ted Lasso. The hit ABC, ABC. The hit Apple, my husband would prefer that. He hates all things Apple. Um, the hit Apple Plus show that took, took the cynicism of our world by storm in the midst of the pandemic. And it's quite perfect that we kick off this series together, Believe a Ted Lasso Christmas, on the first Sunday of Advent when hope is our centering virtue because that's that's the whole premise of the show, hope. That in the midst of all odds against you, people rooting for you to fail, and ignorance of where to go and what to do next, and complex relationships fraught with backbiting and brokenness and years upon years of neglect and failure, that there is still hope. If you've seen the show, you know I know you know what I mean already. You're probably already thinking of moments. But if you haven't, here's a picture into this world. Ted Lasso, who has never played or coached or watched soccer, football in his life, has been recruited, unbeknownst to him as a joke and a way of sabotage for the team to coach a team called AFC Richmond. And on this first day, he's thrown into a press conference where he hasn't, has to answer for the foolishness and complete lack of hope of this moment. So give, give this a watch. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? <laughs> oh yeah, no, she saw that coming. Uh, you know what, you can put your hands down real quick. Um, how about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. At any level? Jesus. Um, and heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I do know. I know that AFC Richmond, like any team I've ever coached, is going to go out there and give you everything they got for all four quarters. Ups. Uh, what was that? Two ups. Uh, oh, right. Sorry. Halves, yeah. They're going to give you everything they got for two halves, win or lose. All tie. All right, y'all do ties here. Sorry, that's going to take some getting used to for me, okay? Because back where I'm from, you try to end the game in a tie, well, that might as well be the first sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> now, look here. I respect what you folks in the media do, and my door is always going to be open. Final question. Uh, how about the fellow right there in the second row? Yes. Trent Krim, The Independence. I just want to make sure I have this right. You're an American who's never set foot in England, whose athletic success has only come at the amateur level, a second tier one at that, and has now been charged with the leadership of a Premier League football club, despite clearly possessing very little knowledge of the game. You got a question in there, Trent? 
Can you even name any footballers? Uh, well, yeah, you got Ronaldo and uh, the fellow that bends it like himself. What's a goalie? It's just complete foolishness. And he is set up to fail. And everyone has lost all hope in AFC Richmond's future as if there was never much any hope before. I mean, there wasn't much hope before. And yet we come to quickly learn through the way he coaches this team and unites his players and interacts with the community in which he now lives and is a part of, and even the way he befriends those who are not his friends, even those people who are commissioned and contribute to what everyone assumes will be his downfall through, through the way he just lives and breathes hope, we come to quickly learn that Ted Lasso isn't just any old exuberant American football coach. Rebecca, the, the new owner of AFC Richmond, whose husband left her for younger women, multiple of them, and in her woundedness and public scandal decides she's going to ruin his favorite thing in the world, his beloved football team, she enlists early on. That same reporter you just saw there from the press conference, Trent Krim, to make Ted Lasso look like the fool that he's been set up to be. But Ted isn't isn't intimidated. So he invites Trent in his man, in his fishing out of, of Ted's weaknesses and, and trying to expose them in an article, he invites Trent out to lunch. Hey, Ollie, this is my friend Trent. Trent, this is my buddy Ollie. Please me. Congrats. You both just met a cool person. <laughs> Are you okay with a little bit of spice? Have him make it for us like we're a couple members of the family. <laughs> You're a brave man. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, that's hot. I feel like I'm about to breathe fire. <clears throat> I don't think I can eat that. Mm. Mm -mm. Come on now. We got to put a decent dent in this. Otherwise, we're going to embarrass Holly in front of his family. Ted, mm -hmm. what you're doing is irresponsible. This club actually means something to this town. I know that. I do. Tramp, what do you love? Is it writing? Yes. Yeah, good, because you're darn good at it. Thank you. Welcome. Me? I love coaching. Now, I'm gonna say this again, just so you didn't think it was a mistake the first time I said it. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. And it ain't always easy, Trent, but neither is growing up without someone believing in you. I really should go. Deadlines and all. Yeah, I gotta do the work. I, I'll, I'll say this, though. I really enjoyed getting to spend this time with you, Trent. You actually mean that, don't you? Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. That's what hope looks like. <laughs> you actually mean that, don't you? Everyone, when you present them with that kind of hope, they're shocked by it. 
And when this kind of hope, despite all odds, is realized in a person like Ted and a community like that one that surrounds AFC Richmond, it has this way of shaking the system, shaking the expected. And to those who work against it, who don't buy into that kind of hope, who haven't yet begun to believe, it's frustrating and it's infuriating. Rebecca assumes that Trent will expose the buffoon and complete fool and failure that she tried to hire Ted to be to run this team into the ground and to wound her husband back once and for all, for all the pain he's, he's caused her throughout the years. And so she has her colleague get an advanced copy of this final article from Trent. But take a look what happens. Yes. I have an advanced copy of the article. Read it to me. Title? Wayward Ted. Whatever you think of Ted Lasso as a football coach, I assure you, the truth is harder to swallow. And yes, he's in over his head. He insisted twice that he didn't care if Richmond won or lost. But if the Lasso way is wrong, it's hard to imagine being right. Keep going. In a business that celebrates ego, Ted reigns his in. His coaching style is subtle. It never hits you over the head, slowly growing until you can no longer ignore its presence. Whether that means allowing followers to become leaders, or in a show of respect, eating food so spicy it's sure to wreak massive havoc on his intestinal system. And though I believe that Ted Lasso will fail here and Richmond will suffer the embarrassment of relegation, I won't gloat when it happens. Because I can't help but root for him. The kind of hope is frustrating and infuriating. It's the kind of hope that is at the, the center of the season of Advent. For those out there who want Christmas to come or have already made Christmas come, they don't need this. They don't need this space of building hope upon love, upon joy, upon peace as we wait for Jesus. This is the kind of hope we need, the kind we long for. It's the kind of hope of Advent, and I believe that's why this show is so successful. But it's also the kind of Advent hope that makes our first scripture of Advent in Mark today so difficult and confusing. Did you hear it? This passage is often called the little apocalypse. We get images of the temple being destroyed and false prophets and wars and rumors of wars and persecution and the sun going dark and in the midst of it all, the son of man coming in the clouds. Mark paints this dramatic and rather disturbing, chaotic picture, a reflection of how Mark and his readers experienced their world. Now scholars debate the gospel of Mark when it was actually written. 
the general consensus seems to be around 65 to 75 AD, a 10 year span dating an approximately 2000 year old document would seem close enough, but with the exception of this one event that this scripture talks about, the Jerusalem temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So, so was the Gospel of Mark written before the destruction of the temple, thus predicting its demise? Or was it written after as this interpretation of its demise? This has caused great debate, and there are many opinions on the matter, and I'm not a biblical scholar, so I'm not smart enough to have an opinion on this, but Mark was writing in this turbulent time, in a time where people were in need of and were longing for hope. To get an idea of what's happening around Mark, consider a few various historical scenes from the 50 years immediately following Jesus' death. First, there's, there's King Agrippa, who dies at 44, Jerusalem is this city run at this time by this ambitious partnership between Roman, Romans and, and Herodians, which read line of Herod. But even they can't soothe the turbulence caused by a succession of ethnic conflicts between Jews and Greeks and Samaritans and the widening gap between the rich and the pro-Roman elite and the poor religious Jews. All this is going on. And then after that, then Felix takes charge of Judea from 52 to 60, and he continues to struggle to keep the peace while enriching himself. And conflicts erupt often with ethnic slaughter and bandits murdering opponents at festivals and in marketplaces. And, and amid this apocalyptic turbulence, this small sect of Jesus followers is now split between Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and its Gentile followers in the wider Roman world. Next, in the mid-60s, King Florus was known for for crucifying his prisoners, including even Roman elite citizens who happened to be Jewish. Temple aristocrats could no longer count on Roman protection. Even those near Florus begged him to stop, but he wanted vengeance and he wanted money. And so the desire for rebellion against the Romans continued to grow and to grow and to grow. And initial efforts to quell the growing rebellion failed, resulting in the death of thousands of Roman soldiers. And well, you know what the answer to that is. And of course, Rome's response to that is this dramatic gathering of 60,000 troops to subdue the rebellion marching through Galilee, conquering land, and sending refugees all over the world. And before long, the Romans had finally surrounded Jerusalem, intending to punish the city for the rebellion, destroying, slaughtering, and burning their way through the city in year 70 AD. One source estimates that about one million people were killed and thousands were taken to Rome as slaves, and during this rampage, the temple was destroyed. These 40 to 50 years after the death of Jesus is this context from which Mark 
and his contemporaries right. No wonder Mark used and his people understood apocalyptic language, right? Images of sun going dark and stars falling from the heaven probably made perfect sense to them. This was, this was just what they were, were. This is what they knew, an empire ruling their land, a variety of corrupt and incompetent leaders, growing divisions among the people. And there, amidst all of that, this small band of Jesus followers still clinging to hope. Jesus had come, yes, and yet they were still in need of and still longing for some kind of hope. That hope that only Jesus could ever, did ever, will ever offer. And it's that kind of frustrating and infuriating hope that Ted Lasso's presence brings into the community, into the people's lives that surround and make up this show. And it, it's, it can be easy to think that that kind of hope that Jesus brings, the kind of hope that we talk about this time of year, the kind of hope of a character like Ted Lasso is just pie in the sky, unrealistic Pollyanna sentimentality. It's not real. Not when, not when you... Not when you've been where I've been. Not when you've suffered through the divorce I suffered through. Not when you're trudging through the waters of depression. Not when you're battling cancer. Not when, not when you've watched people you love die from a virus. Not when you know just how cruel this world can be. No, that's not, hope's not real. That hope is not real. It's easy to think this kind of hope is a fairy tale and that a person like Ted Lasso is just fake, jolly foolishness. But even Ted knows. Ted knows well the pain of life. They couldn't, they couldn't tell this story without that. Ted knows well the pain that life can bring and the moments when hope feels impossible. Ted ends up across the pond because his marriage is falling apart, and she needs space. Take a look at this scene. I just keep thinking about the first time we met. Back in school. <laughs> Us being the only two people in that big old parking lot at the exact same time. <laughs> so random. And I wouldn't change a single thing. Even now. What are you saying? Michelle, there's something I could do or something I could say that would make you be happy. Just being with me, I'd do it. I'd do it in a nanosecond. I ain't got no control over any of that. You don't have to keep trying anymore. It's okay. I'm gonna be okay. Yeah? Okay, quick feet. There we go. Shoot. I promised myself I would never quit anything in my life. But you're not quitting, Ted. You're just letting me go. Heartbreak, yes, and yet still hope. This is the kind of hope that Jesus is talking about in our passage today. And, and so did you hear what Jesus talks about when he talks about hope? 
He says, the Son of Man will come in the clouds and in great power and glory and will gather his elect from the four corners of the world and he will come with power and great power that surpasses all the turmoil of the day. For God does not abandon his people in the midst of chaos, nor is God ignoring this suffering. God has not abandoned the people in the midst of chaos. Instead, it is It is while the stars are falling that the Son of Man will be revealed. And what is now hidden will be seen. And when the Son of Man comes, he will gather people in from the ends of the earth, intervening to bring people into the divine fold of God. Notice how what Mark is revealing is not some kind of final judgment on all those who have perpetrated wrong. Jesus doesn't encourage self-righteous Jews to gloat over those they see are beyond redemption, because that's not hope. What Mark and his people needed and heard was hope, that God would not abandon them and that when they when they could see past all the suffering and all the wrongdoing, what they would see and experience was the gracious gathering of the people of God. The Son of Man is coming. Hang on to that hope. God is good and faithful. Hang on to that hope. Be alert. Watch. Wait for it. For what God will still yet do. The day is surely coming. That's the message of Mark. Except there is only one problem with this promise of hope. And that's the temple. Because that was everything to them. The temple in Jerusalem was a site at which people would gather. So how do we gather all these people from the four corners? The temple represented the center of the faith and was a tangible reminder of God's presence among the people. When God vowed to gather the people again, it would be to their promised land, right? The temple with Jerusalem, it's the temple at the center. If if the temple's gone, if cancer sets in, if 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 my divorce wreaks havoc on my finances and leaves me in a battle over my children, Mark opens chapter 13 with with one of the disciples remarking on the temple, look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Jesus responded, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Even if the temple had not yet been destroyed, its future did not look good. As the disciples tried to figure out the timing of the arrival of the Son of Man, as Mark's contemporaries wondered how long the chaos in the world would continue, as the community around and the team at AFC Richmond considered where they are now, who they are now, and who they want to be. We we long for an end to our current heartache and our crisis as we as we for some kind, ask God for some kind of relief from the, the effects of the pandemic as, as we make do in the midst of whatever the muck is in our own lives, what we find is not a calendar appointment for when it will all be over. All we are offered from Mark is this, 
vigilant advent hope. Be alert, be watching, be waiting. Know that hope will come down from heaven. Toward the end of season one, when the team was finally united under the same purpose, but the hope of winning or the prospect of team relegation seemed all too bleak a prospect, Ted Lasso rallied his team once more for a pregame pep talk. Perhaps it's a pep talk for this advent for us. Give it a listen. So I've been hearing this phrase y'all got over here that I ain't too crazy about. <laughs> it's the hope that kills you. Y'all know that? I disagree, you know? I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Now, where I'm from, we got a saying too. Yeah? Uh, question actually. Do you believe in miracles? Now, I don't need y'all to answer that question for me. But I do want you to answer that question for yourselves. Right now. Do you believe in miracles? And if you do, then I want y'all to circle up with me right now. Come on, let's go. What kind of hope are you longing for right now, this Advent? Where is there a lack of hope? Maybe it's not in your own personal life. Maybe it's you see it in the world around you and you feel charged and compelled to do something about it. Or maybe your life has fallen apart. And as Ted's wife said earlier, <laughs> you're not giving up. You're letting it go. And, and clinging towards something new. The kind of Advent hope that Jesus brings. The kind of Advent hope that Mark knew. Let's pray together. God, as the band comes forward, we, we bring our, our hearts before you, all that is heavy, all that is hopeful, because we know that, and this year has been so fraught with the losing of hope, or to convincing ourselves that I can't have hope because it just keeps changing and it just keeps getting worse, but we know, God, that it's when we have lost the hope that it's what eats away at us until we die. And so we ask of you, God, as we begin to prepare this nursery for Jesus to be born in our hearts, we ask that you would, you would make a space of hope in that. Help us find a symbol of hope as we piece together this space in our hearts for Jesus to come. God, we also pray for the hope of this church that it's pretty easy, God, after two years and a lot of it online 
to feel apathetic or like it's inconsequential or like it'll be there when I need it. We remember the hope that this church offers. Remember the, church, the hope that this church once offered us, if it's not offering it now, and, and, and the call back into it, God. And as we are called into it by you, move in our hearts, show us how we are to, to commit our lives to make that hope a reality. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but rest from evil. From thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus, Jesus,